0: I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a biweekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I am talking with Brianna Cohen of TransUnion and Susan Taberski of People. TransUnion, as I think most Commerce Code listeners probably know, is one of the big three credit reporting agencies, more than 200 million files on credit active consumers in the U.S. People is a company that collects cross-references and connects online identity information in the effort to fight fraud. Now, Brianna, Susan, and I are continuing a conversation that in a way we've been having for some months now. And there are three big elements to what we're talking about today. One, just recent changes in ID verification. So what breakthroughs have sort of happened? Where are we now and and what might lie ahead? Privacy, data ownership, and then consumer control. So where, again, are we now on those Key digital ID issues, and then where are we headed? And then finally, what's the role for consumers? So, how aware are consumers? How bought in are they to the kinds of initiatives that companies like TransUnion and people uh, and others are undertaking right now in this really important area of digital ID? So, stay tuned for a deep dive on Commerce Code into the opportunities and risks in digital ID.
1: Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com.
0: Susan and Brianna, so great to have you both with us on Commerce Code today. Where are you each joining us from?
2: I'm here in sunny Chicago, where it might snow tomorrow, but as of today, it's 80 degrees.
0: 80 degrees for Brianna in Chicago. And then Susan, where are you?
3: I am in the the beautiful mountains of North Carolina, where it is 78 and sunny here, and it never gets above 85. So we don't even have air conditioners
0: here. That is amazing. So we're talking about identity verification, and I wanted to just start... Kind of with the big picture question, what, what is the biggest change overall that we've seen in identity verification in, you know, say the last two or three years?
3: I think what's fascinating, if we think about the, the evolution of identity verification, prior to COVID, people would go into banks, they would be in stores getting a credit card, getting a line of credit. They would, were in person with everything they did. Covid hits the entire globe, locked down, and suddenly everything went digital and online. And as it relates to identity verification, a few things started to happen at the beginning of Covid. One is that the fraudsters got very happy because they knew that they could do faceless transactions, so they found new ways to to really circumvent the system for identity verification. Two, the plethora of data breaches that have happened in the past couple of years has more than quadrupled, so there's more data that's available on the dark web for fraudsters to take advantage of. And three, the way people People behave online and digitally is different than the way they behave in person. Meaning, now we have everyone has a social handle. I mean, it has got Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those other things that play into their identity verification profile, which is truly now defined as digital verification. It didn't look like that a few years ago. So the the rules of the game changed, and yet they didn't. Because a lot of the stability and identity variables stayed the same, but there were new ones that were added and how they interact together has changed dramatically in the past couple of years.
0: You know, Susan, you're coming at it from from people's perspective. And so I'm I'm wondering kind of where people maybe fits into that story that you've just told. And then Brianna, I'd love to hear kind of how you think about it from TransUnion's perspective.
3: And so from people's perspective, when people started out 15 years ago in the data business and has data on over 15 billion profiles globally, so the the depth of data that we have is critical in really verifying identity verification. So when you look at how someone behaves online, we're we're uniquely positioned to know what that looks like because we can connect all those identity variables beyond just the the standard PII, we can corroborate and and using AI, we can cross-corroborate and tell you what that identity looks like from a digital perspective. And so for us, we sort of hit the perfect storm because we have that depth of data that we can provide that digital verification. But having been in the industry for a while, I've had the opportunity to see other companies and I've seen other companies who have increased their footprint and their visibility to that digital data to enhance the way they do identity verification.
2: Susan, I love that. And when I think about the biggest changes in the last three years, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And we pulled 89% increase in digital transactions over the last three years Mm -hmm. with 122% increase in attempted fraud. And so we're also seeing data breaches are up dramatically. There's a rise in sophisticated fraudsters and bot attacks. We hear that a ton from the lenders that we work with. And really, when I think about the impact to you of all of that is for a long time, we talked to financial institutions about the potential impacts of fraud. And most of them thought about it as an expense that weighs on their bottom line and something that leads to losses. I've seen the mindset shift with the lenders and I'm hearing it across our company with the other customers that they work with in commerce and other verticals, that they're starting to think more about what does identity verification do to the consumer experience? How can they really make that experience really, really good for Susan when it's Susan on the other side of the transaction, but really, really bad for Brianna when she's not Susan on the other side of the transaction. And I think folks are really struggling to manage that. But really, from a TU perspective, our goal has always been 100% visibility of consumers around the world. And certainly, we all got our start in credit, but really pulling together not just the credit data, but we've been investing a ton in bringing the demographic data. And we purchased a company called Newstar not too long ago To really create an identity spine where we can understand Susan on the other side of the transaction from either a deterministic perspective, which is very important in credit use cases, or a probabilistic, almost like a scored perspective when it comes to marketing use cases or places where it would be okay if I showed a dog's ad to Susan and she doesn't actually particularly love dogs. It's really Brianna that does. So a lot of folks really shifting their perspective on how they think about identity verification. And so we are working very, very hard to help them really harness it and pull it all together.
0: I want to think about the next like two or three years, and I'll frame it this way. this is a way of thinking about the world of some famous quote, and I, I will botch the question of who said it. But, you know, the, the future is already here. It just presents unevenly. And so if we think about um, the next two, three years, and Susan, what you've been talking about in terms of. The ability to be instantaneous. I'm assuming that that capability is pretty unevenly spread across the marketplace. And so, if we look forward in the next two three years, is one of the things that's going to happen is kind of a shakeout where you've got some organizations that are losing market share or losing revenue because they simply they haven't got this nailed. And then other organizations that you know that have it really smooth and they're able to let the good guys through at an acceptable risk level. I mean, is that what we're looking at, or how's it going to
1: work?
2: And I think what's driving that BNPL interaction to be so strong is technology. And the companies who are investing in the technology to enable that seamless experience are the ones that are winning. And when we sit down with some of the kind of more legacy folks who have struggled to invest in technology or they've made so many acquisitions over the years that they're struggling to stitch them together, their biggest concern is they are spending a lot of money in marketing dollars, putting really great ads in front of Brianna. But you've driven me away because you created a terrible experience and I'm never coming back. And so there's a lot of focus, especially right now with the economy around how we're managing that experience again with the consumer, how we're investing in the technology to make that really frictionless and how we're making sure that we're not leaking revenue and customers elsewhere because we've driven them away because we're too afraid that the fraudsters are going to put us out of business. Being really smart about it and proactive about it is what is making folks successful today and will tomorrow.
3: I absolutely agree, and and just to add on to that, I think what it, we've seen in the industry is that a plethora of companies offering orchestration platforms, orchestration platforms allow a new layer that can go on top of those legacy platforms that are very difficult to upgrade and to enhance, and by doing that, it gives them greater flexibility if it's done right, and we've seen it done right many, many ways, but I agree, technology has got to be front and center, and then part and parcel of the technology is the way that they're using that data, and that's where AI comes into play. I think as we set forth down the path, I think to see integrations and technologies that don't leverage AI, they're gonna run into challenges because they cannot process transactions quickly enough they're going to run into challenges because of that customer experience is going to be impacted. And so I think the most significant changes that are going to be absolutely front and center is going to be the use of AI and technology enhancements. And then there's some smaller things that feed into that, like, you know, biometric authentication. There's a lot of pros and cons with, with that particular technology, but I think we're seeing it used at a high, a much higher level than we saw in the past couple of years. The other piece that though is out there is the regulatory change. And I don't know that Dan and Brianna, we're going to have enough time on this this uh, podcast to talk about the potential regulatory impact, but depending on how the waters flow from that standpoint, that can be significant.
0: There's probably a few different ways to do this right, but there's always an infinite number of ways to do things wrong. And I am curious, I guess, from from either of your perspective, you know, what's the, you know, there's usually kind of a lazy approach, uh, and maybe lazy is not fair, because sometimes it's just an approach that companies end up taking to, to this because of constraints that they they feel like they can't overcome. But what do you think is the most common kind of lazy approach to this that gets it wrong?
3: I think the laziest way that's out there is to verify one identity element. I hear companies say, you know, we believe that if we verify the email, we feel really good about that identity. And with the sophistication of fraudsters and the sophistication of technology, that is the easiest thing to spoof and to change and to manipulate. And so the importance that the most effective companies that really embrace and optimize their identity verification, they're looking at all identity variables. They're looking at how they interact. They're looking at the velocity. Velocity. They're looking at the connectivity. You have to look at the big picture, even if it's only three identity variables. But to, I've seen reliance on single, uh, just a phone, just an email, and that is fraught with challenges. One, from a fraud mitigation, and we see losses go up with those types of companies. And then on the flip side, the customer experience—you see, you see the customer experience being impacted because so many things are going to end up in manual review, and that's not where we have to be from an operational
2: perspective. Oh, Susan, I definitely agree with you. That would be the number one concern. I think number two would be a company who's essentially throwing as many elements at it as they can afford and yes. not doing all of the other good things that you talked about and understanding the interaction of them. Mm-hmm. It's either, I just use this one thing. I use it. Everything And again, it's really about understanding which elements are most meaningful in which channels, in which interactions, what pieces do I need? And really every single time I interact with a consumer, having a different level of confidence in their identity behind that is okay. Because again, there's always use cases where it's okay, I'm 80% confident that's Susan. And then there are certainly use cases where it's 100% confidence is critical. And Everybody trying to solve for the hundred percent all the time keeps us stuck, and we're better off starting to move forward by thinking about the interplay amongst the elements, but also which ones are right for each individual customer and each individual interaction, and how do you then stitch that together for where you interact with consumers across the inter- ecosystem?
0: When we're talking about, I guess, challenges or deficiencies in in, in the approach. You know, sometimes what's underneath it is people just don't understand how certain things work. And, and I have to believe, I mean, I personally think a lot of folks don't understand how digital ID sort of really works or how ID works in the contemporary context, because, because frankly, I find myself struggling to follow some of these conversations, too. And so what do you think is the most common misconception about how digital ID works and then, and you know, how is that kind of consequential?
2: When I think about that, Dan, I start with the consumer first, because that's who we all are. And I think you're absolutely right. Consumers feel like they want the most seamless experience, but they also don't understand what's happening with their data on the other side of the computer screen, the cell phone, whatever you want to call it. And I think they get nervous about that, but at the same time, they get frustrated by it. And what they really need to understand is at the core of this, the consumer is in control. So the consumer consents to what data is utilized. They sit down to fill out a credit card application. They consent for that lender to pull their credit data. They fill out a form to get pre-qualified. They consent for that data to be pulled to see what offers they could be eligible for. And the consumer should feel truly empowered by the control that they have and the ability that they have to give the elements of their data that they want to give to either retailers or lenders to have the best experience. And instead, we end up in a little bit of a back and forth where there's, I think, to Susan's earlier point, not enough trust on both sides because no one really quite understands who's driving the bus because... I think the lenders will tell you the consumers are and the consumers will tell you the lenders are. And the truth is the consumers are and they should embrace Mm. that on both sides. I agree with that. The counter to it is I, I was
3: recently traveling and Uber had updated all their terms and conditions and I needed a car and so they offered those the terms and conditions up not calling them out because uh, you know every company is dealing with this and i scrolled through i kid you not 472 pages of that and so i'm not exactly sure what i consented to to that but i knew i needed to do it to get the service that i wanted from that standpoint so i think there i think there continues to be misunderstanding of not just the consent piece but but to your point the what is this thing called digital identity because if i'm transacting on my phone That must mean that I'm digital. So what are they looking at from a digital identity perspective? Oh, wait, I have an email. Therefore, I must be transacting digital. So I think as an industry, Dan, that some have TransUnion does, quite frankly, an exceptional job of communicating and educating the consumers. But I think across the industry, we can do better at helping them to understand what that truly means. Because... Data is out there on individuals. We allow it sometimes unknowingly when we and, you know, enable cookies. We allow people to have access to information to offer up the offers we want. But I think that as an industry, we can do a better job in that.
0: What do you think is the, the biggest risk then for, for companies right now in terms of what they can get wrong or are likely to get wrong in the next you know, few years?
3: I think that the risk at getting it wrong is that customer experience. It is at losing customers. It is the reputational impact of getting it wrong a few times and seeing your company on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It's the shareholder value that is impacted when there are too many bad articles speaking about the plethora of fake identities that have come into your site or how poorly individuals have been handled. So I, you know, I think that to what we started at the beginning, talking about that customer experience is from center and if you get it wrong that impacts who the company is
0: so there isn't a lot of choice here i mean that i'm just imagining you know there's there's shortcuts you can take in order to smooth the customer experience right like you can you can do it the right way or you can shortcut it somewhere in the back end and then that that's what ends up on the the front page of the wall street journal and so you know in a world of constrained resources you know you're making some choices and it seems like there's kind of risk either way, you know, the pressure from the customer that they're going to you'll lose the sale or on the other side that you'll have a compliance problem or a risk issue,
2: yeah, and Dan, adding to that, it becomes a regulatory concern, too. We certainly, with gridlock in d c, have a situation where the states have stepped in, and the privacy laws in California and Texas and mm-hmm. Illinois and New York, they're all completely different. Mm-hmm. And so we really see customers struggling with that. and, Do I just raise all of my standards to whoever's are the highest? Do I manage things differently across states? That requires a lot of technology and resources to be able to do that. And a lot of the folks that we talk to are almost stuck in the middle of how do I give consumers that good experience? How do I take as little data as possible, but get as much as possible all at the same time? I know resources are constrained, but I think really smart investment in technology, whether that be internally, or through partnerships. Getting along with people, just as a general rule, can sometimes be difficult between companies. There's tons of business cases out there of large partnerships that haven't worked. But that said, I think really being able to, between companies in the industry, do what's right and sit down and say, you have this technology, I have this data, we can enable the best experience together without me having to rebuild what you've built already. I think that is where the world is going. And we see more and more of those partnerships coming to fruition. And the folks who really embrace that and lean into it are the folks who are going to be the most successful because they're going to get, they're going to kind of stay in their own lane and get the best impact out of what they're good at. But be able to provide such a good experience for consumers that they're going to grow their market share and get that style.
0: We've talked a lot about risk stuff and and Brianna, you mentioned partnerships and creating cool stuff. and so I want, to, I want to turn to that for a minute, which is the whole point of all this is that we're able to create more capability and more, you know, and maybe sometimes we sort of take for granted you know all the great things that have happened. Uh, you know and we worry, we talk about the risk. So for either of you and maybe Susan, you can start if you want, but, but what can consumers kind of look forward to that's better than before in terms of whether it's security or just you know ease of transacting or other sorts of benefits? as a result of you know, uh, digital commerce companies becoming more sophisticated in terms of ID?
3: I think as we look forward, one of the things that I think consumers will start to see more of is this concept of self-sovereign identity, of them owning their identity, their credentials. I've seen partnerships emerge with the thinking that says, let's take that verifiable credential component and put it in your digital wallet. Well, taking that information, putting it into a digital wallet, which is available everywhere and every consumer for ease of use, now they completely control how their identity information is being used. So you've got an additional layer of security, but it increases the ease at which you can transact which again is good from a consumer perspective. So I think the combination and the triangulated components of the increased security, the looking at things like digital wallets and then the consumers owning the identities ultimately, which is, I don't know that that's going to happen immediately, but I think over time, it's absolutely going to emerge as as a primary way of identity authentication, identity verification. So I think those alone will increase the experience, but give them more control
2: in the process. Oh, I love that, Susan. I would call it personalization with control for nice. the consumer and higher conversion for the lender, retailer, whoever is on the other side of the e commerce transaction. Because the better offer or the better marketing content that I can put in front of Brianna, the more likely I am to have that trust in that interaction, that really good engagement and long-term benefits because I'm going to convert her into a long-term customer. Dan, to your point, there's lots of exciting things on the horizon. I think if we can just sit down and figure out how do we invest across each other, and this is such a great group to have those types of discussions, how can we all together help improve the ecosystem and get through some of these stumbling blocks that we've had the last few years where we've been trying to figure out when the new normal will be here because I think it's just a button on a dryer.
0: Since we're talking about cool stuff, I want to end with a couple of topics that I think have a lot of cool potential, and let's we can just stipulate that there might be risks associated with these things too. But there are some cool things going on. We were talking about one of them before we started the recording today: artificial intelligence, and in particular, you know, ChatGPT and or other things, whether they're image generators or they're generating text. So that's one thing I'm interested. In. And then the other one is, you know, just Web three and blockchain. Um, would be interested to kind of hear your guys' perspectives on what What do you think is cool or could happen? in a really positive way, as a result of those very you know, sort of capable and very different tools.
2: I think one of the biggest long-term benefits of that, Dan, is gonna be the visibility of 100% of the population. The goal has always been really understanding all of the consumers that we interact with, and we know that there are consumers that we have lower visibility with. Having a decentralized system gives us the ability to understand everyone better and pick up all that data and quite frankly, standardize it in such a way that we can all leverage it and understand it in consistent ways. And again, back to the trust, build trust with consumers because we're using data in a consistent format in a consistent way. And they have a level of expectations they can set with our industry and the players who meet them will succeed and the players who don't will not. I agree
3: with that and I think the part and parcel of that is that the concept of AI and machine learning in the engagement process because with the depth of data available globally, and pulling it all together. Take the regulatory pieces, put those aside because we know that there's use case limitations in certain market areas, but put that aside in order to be able to optimize the data availability and what it means. You have to have AI. It's not possible anymore to do it the way we did years ago with neural nets and kind of slower moving models. It has to be optimized that way. Blockchain is a whole nother discussion. And that, of course, is a permanent system of record and the power in that. And actually, I'm going to I'm going to bump this one back to Brianna, because in, in looking at, at your core business, blockchain to me seems like it's got to be the path forward because of the way that it tags the information. But I would love your opinion on that as well. I love the
2: tokenization that blockchain brings. I think tokenization is the future of privacy and information and how we all exchange information amongst each other. I think that's the biggest untapped benefit. Blockchain itself, my one concern with that is the inability to dispute it. And we all know that, well, most of the time we all get everything right. There are times when we don't and we need the consumer to have the ability to edit or dispute the information that's in the blockchain. And I think we have to find some way to help that happen because otherwise we're always going to be limited by the fact that it's a permanent system of record. And because of it, we'll always contain some data that's not, call it pure. And certainly as a path forward, I think we can leverage tokenization. And I think we really need to think about how these systems are policed and who someone i know the whole concept of decentralization is that it's no one but someone needs to set rules and guidelines around it so we have a way to deal with some of those inefficiencies or incorrect or inaccuracies when they show up
0: you know it's not just the sort of invisible hand right that makes things go you've got the government is the most extreme example of like we are going to set rules and tell you what to do but I mean, you know, gosh, I mean, time zones were originally agreed to by a bunch of railroad executives, and it wasn't for decades thereafter that the government got into the time zone business. And there's loads of examples of, you know, private organizations setting things up, and especially often in financial services, right? Credit scoring and rating and all that stuff is a pretty good example of that kind of thing. And so it feels like there's an opportunity in all of these areas, but in that area, uh, in particular, for an approach to arise that kind of works. Because to your point, Brianna, if there are some essential operating you know, deficiencies or things that are missing, there's just really an opportunity for somebody to come in there and say, hey, here's how we can do it and do it better. Because we're at a point, I think, with the, with the blockchain stuff where people have now seen the potential, but we're still not really dealing with it as a transacting, you know, moment to moment, day to day thing.
2: I think you're absolutely right, Dan. The onus is on us and our industry to sit down and find a way to standardize and really streamline and create that before someone, the government gets involved. I think we have a unique opportunity to set the standard and to create it in the way that's going to make the most sense for both us as well as the consumer. You know, the more that I'm out talking with lenders, the more that I'm starting to hear that they are verifying identity earlier and earlier on in the process. So before I pull the credit data and show you what offers you may be eligible for, I need to make sure that that's really Susan on the other side of the phone because I don't need a bad actor getting a hold of that information and using it for nefarious things. And so the system is changing. The order of operations is changing. And so I think we really as an industry need to sit down and figure out how do we set this in such a way that it will carry us forward? Because if we're waiting for the regulators to do it for us, maybe we'll be there in
3: 2072. And even on top of that, Brianna, I I what I've seen in working with less regulated industries is that the regulators actually want the industry, for the most part, to solve for that. They, they would rather that we solve for it in a way that makes sense across solutions providers and entities that serves the customer and the consumer the best. And the CFPB engages when the consumer feels that they're not being treated properly. So as an industry, when we come together to focus with that's the lens is to make sure from a consumer's perspective and a business perspective that there's parity in the, in the approach that's how we win. And that actually appeases the regulators. As I say, I've had more experience on the non-regulated side and seeing that type of interaction happen. I also agree that that we're seeing a, a lot more focus on that identity verification at the top of the funnel that helps across the board. And it improves customer experience and mitigates customer friction because you're getting that information front and center at the top. Even before the financial transaction is entered into, when they're signing up at the very first touch point, when you're, you're signing on to Nordstrom's Nordstroms.com before you get a Nordstrom credit card, sign up at the very first touch point that we see you. And that helps to ease that that transition across the entire life cycle for the consumer. We make the consumer experience better. Regulators let us keep going down that path. But I think 100 percent the path is for us to all do it together.
0: Look, this has been a terrific conversation and, you know, both uh, kind of covering a lot of, a lot of terrain, but love ending on the forward-looking piece. And there is so much exciting stuff for both consumers and for companies. And so thanks for joining us on Commerce Code. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use VantageScore to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.